know. I think it's a very slow process. Yeah. Or a process we don't know yet know yeah. what it looks like. So, yeah, what does this change? What does it look like? And how do we get started if we haven't already started? You know, it doesn't have to be anything extreme. It doesn't have to be anything, like, as drastic as, say, when Germany was being rebuilt. Because Germany has some privileges that Nigeria may not necessarily have. You know, things like that. But what are we doing? You know, what can we do for the meantime, for the time being? to drive that change to begin doing something because yes i do i do appreciate the protests that happened in say nigeria and it's not just nigeria it's been a lot of protests going on in africa matter of fact i was reading i think it was it was in namibia or some, something somewhere like that it's sort of like east south africa there's a huge protest that happened riots and even you know it's really it was really extreme and of course it's the ethiopia the, the, the shit going on in ethiopia um I think with Sudan or something like that. And then and then there's also something that has to do with Sudan, Ethiopia, and Egypt. It's a mess. But these are just places that I know. I'm pretty sure if you search, you find a whole lot of issues, political unrest, and revolutions going on throughout, throughout Africa That's and fair. also throughout all the world. But also some good things, too. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course, of course. But, um, yeah, but collectively, though, we do want to... I, I want to understand how um, the average privileged African who may or may not live on the continent can do something to begin that change, to incite that change, or at least, you know, like contribute. Right. Because before this protest that happened um, a few months ago in Nigeria, this NSARS protest, maybe I'm just tripping, but I hadn't really seen much being done. There's really not a whole lot of you know, I mean, collectively, Nigerians agree that Nigeria's messed up. Oh, yeah, Nigeria's a mess, you know, things like that. But what are we doing? Every year, every four years, we're putting the same corrupt politicians. We we elect them. We put them on a pedestal. We conform happily. Um, population is rising like it's Christmas. Um, opportunities are diminishing. Education is not serving anybody, or at least a general education. It, those are very big blanket statements, but keep going. Yeah, well, majority of people who graduate from Nigerian universities, majority, majority of people don't have a whole lot of opportunities going on for them. And I could say this for sure because I'm still in contact with a lot of people back in Nigeria who who actually were smarter than me, quote, unquote, back in Nigeria when I lived in Nigeria. They had better grades. Mm -hmm. You would think they would have more opportunities, better opportunities, but there's not a whole lot of things going on uh, for them right now. You graduate from these universities in nigeria you have all these degrees doctor you know whatever it is you know there's not a whole lot of opportunities you know every year it's the same polish shit every year and i just want to understand how can we break right from this okay so i would say like if you're asking what a foreign national from one of these countries who no longer lives there like what is their ability to incite change like i guess we've had this conversation before too um, there's two types of work to engage in and there's symptomatic work, which is essentially like you're addressing the effects of some of these social issues. So something such as like famine or hunger, like addressing like food relief isn't necessarily going to like target the root cause of why there is hunger in this country, but is going to help subsidize some of the like damages that's going to come. And then there's like the root cause work, which is diving deep enough, deep enough, deep enough to try to figure out like, okay, where's the theory of change to actually like alleviate these symptoms from ever ever happening i would say like if you, 
in my personal belief, like if you're trying to do root cause work, like you gotta be dedicated. Mm -hmm. Like that's time, that's energy, that's <clears throat> effort. I think if you're looking to pussyfoot, donate money, like step in, step out once a year, like you're only gonna really be engaged in symptomatic work. For me, like I believe, and there's a caveat, but I believe like the nexus between like research and practice and policy needs to be like elevated to like the limelight. Like this is where we can maybe institute change. Like if we find the right tools and provide evidence for the right tools and then get those tools into policies, really effective policies that work for practitioners. Mm -hmm. Like that's where you can start alleviating some of our problems. Unfortunately, like research is underfunded. Mm -hmm. Policy makers, practitioners, researchers like have a terrible relationship with how they like collaborate. Mm -hmm. I would say like if you're looking to institute change, like you should look into some of these poverty action labs, see like what you can do, the biggest thing being donating. But if that that's what would cause root cause work, if you're not looking to get overly engaged. Like this becomes your life's work. If you're trying to go into root cause work past the donation. Mm. And uh, I, the whole donation donation thing, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people run to donate because that's like an easy way to yeah. help out. But at the end of the day, too, you have to be careful who you're donating to because a lot of times these donations, these charity organizations have become a business of their own. You just end up fattening somebody's bank account. Yeah. You know, and that becomes a challenge. There's a lot of, and you and I, we've talked about how a lot of, um, Nonprofit organizations are have sprung up all throughout Nigeria, and for all the wrong reasons. You know, it's like a quick get money. Mm -hmm. to, Be you know, all this. exactly. Yeah. If you want to make money, just start your own business in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Nonprofit mm -hmm. bullshit, and everybody donates. And then all you got to do is just, you know, let's say people donate a thousand dollars, and you take a hundred dollars and buy backpacks for a bunch of kids take mm -hmm. pictures of them and post on instagram and, hey look i'm saving the kids mm -hmm. meanwhile you're wearing gucci and fendi yeah. and every week you're on first class flying to dubai and this is this is a this is a, an epidemic really in nigeria there's a lot of celebrities quote unquote i'm not gonna call names child you know bullshit ass um charity organizations you know that claim to be for the kids, for the women, for the, you know, whatever, whatever. But they, they it's drenched. Like very self-serving. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're drenched in Chanel and every month they're going to Dubai. Do you know who I'm talking about, child? I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> not, not to call no names, but, you know, and and the reason why we talked about this, because I was trying to find out how, what I can do, you know. Um, do I jump on the bandwagon? But I don't want to jump on that bandwagon to basically perpetrate the same issue that I'm talking about because I don't want I don't want it to be as selfish as that. And I feel like a person like me doesn't need, necessarily need it because I have opportunities. You know, I can understand someone who lives in Nigeria making money off of that. You know, of course, fifty percent of it goes to your organization and fifty percent goes to your bank account. I get that. But I don't need to do that, you know, because I have other opportunities that somebody in Nigeria may not necessarily have. It's challenging. It's really challenging. It really is challenging. Um, but what would you say, though, if you were to give examples of having lived in Africa, what would you say are some of the issues, some of the biggest issues that you think need to be tackled in Africa and need to be tackled very fast? Mm -hmm. I'd probably say mm, employment. 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 Can you elaborate on that, please? employment opportunities that uh, actually meet 
basic minimum like standards of livelihood. I think that's one. I think corruption is another one in the way that the government systems work and the way that money works within the government systems. Let, let, let's go back to the whole employment thing. How would you create employment opportunities for, say, um, people with the right credentials? Like an African or let's say Nigerian, for example. I know I keep saying Nigerian, but I'm, I'm saying Nigerian specifically because that's the only country that I'm familiar with, African country that I'm most familiar with. Um, let's say an African, a Nigerian who graduated from a university, a Nigerian university, not a, not a Western university, a Nigerian university within Nigeria, within the African continent, um, and they're seeking employment. There's a lot of qualified candidates with no job opportunities whatsoever. Um, how could you create, realistically create job opportunities for those Nigerian graduates who have graduated, done their time through school education, served their country, you know, and it's now time to be employed, gainfully employed, so that they can contribute to themselves, to their family, and also to the country financially. Mm. But I think it's about, it's like usurping the system of like, do we necessarily need to get everyone through university to get a job? And is the issue more so about handing out qualifications to people as like a level of their status and like self-worth? So part of me thinks is like, I think sometimes we walk into these communities and we start saying like, oh, well, like these are all the things that you lack and therefore you need and therefore you need these people to come in and do it. And is it not necessarily the case? There's a lot of shortage of employment, of employees in uh, in South Africa. I think they call it like the, there's like a high, high skill, low wage gap of like people who have like a certain set of skills that maybe are more particular, but like aren't necessarily going out and being engineers. Mm. So I do think it's like, I think probably what happens is we have too many kids who have aspirations of being a pilot and not a need for pilots. And that's okay. And I don't think the idea is to then force there to be a bigger need for pilots. I think there's a need to like reset expectations of like what necessarily is a good job. So I think like if you can empower the average village to employ its own people and that employment is sustainable, then I don't think you need to necessarily be like pushing all of these like going to university, getting high paying jobs, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Does that make sense? So correct me if I'm wrong. So instead of looking at what we consider as employment, you know, conforming to the status quo, um, whatever that may be, look for opportunities within Nigeria that have not been tapped into and create opportunities. For example, there's a lot of brokenness in Nigeria, obviously, because something is not working. Mm -hmm. And that brokenness on its own is opportunity for something, opportunity, job opportunities. You can hire someone, employ people, create job opportunities to change mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. Does that make sense? So instead of people, instead of pushing people to go to school um, to be doctors and lawyers and engineers, you know, the whole, the whole shit that a lot of Nigerians yeah. push their kids to study, you know, because of search of greener pastures, leave those behind, you know, for now and explore other opportunities, other areas that have been untapped. I think the example I would give is like, in, did, did I? Yeah. In the village I live in, which is a couple hundred thousand people, there's one electrician. Like we know one electrician who does part-time work 
and can get called up and come to your house but he actually works for like the national electricity company that for like a village of that size like that's very small but how many people how many young people in our community aspire to go off and be electrical engineers in johannesburg i feel like that's the contradiction of like maybe it's about creating more equal playing field of like an electrical engineer doesn't have drastically such a better life than an electrician does and so people can easily step out of their normal like let's say vocational training mm-hmm. and walk into an electrician's job and which is what we need and so i feel like and being a good electrician at that too so i feel like that's something i'm also trying to hint at is like we have this bifurcation of like people not entering like these middle middle class jobs and therefore like you have this range of people who have very low class unstable jobs and then you have kids aspiring for these jobs that don't exist in their communities and therefore you end up with an engineering degree but you're sitting at home yeah so who's creating these opportunities for jobs that are needed and what incentives are they given because again if i'm coming from a family that my parents have been telling me, oh, you better go to school to be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, you know, because these are the most um, marketable degrees. They're the most needed degrees, you know. That's a subjective. But That's okay. subjective, but yeah, but a lot of times, you know, you may not necessarily be you may not necessarily be familiar with this, but a lot of times, a lot of Nigerians, they raise their kids to go to school to be doctors, engineers, lawyers, you know, bankers, mm. you know, which I understand. I, I don't want to fault them. I understand a lot of these Nigerian parents grew up underprivileged, so they feel like these big titles will give them a better opportunity to not live a, a horrible life. I get it, right? So if if I am coming from a... a um, a family where my parents were driving that into my head and now all of a sudden um and i have a lot of people who have those degrees and just sitting at home um but then all of a sudden there's somebody who's talking about oh um what uh, bus driving for example there's a lot of opportunities for bus driving or somebody's trying to start and start a business on bus driving and there's they've marketed it to be to seem like oh it's going to be very it's going to be very lucrative it's going to be a lot of opportunities you you have the you have the potential to make this amount this much money a year and things like that what are the incentive for a person like me to pursue bus driving as a career as opposed to um going for what what my parents have taught me that is more realistic or but, it's, it's more rewarding but that's where the system needs to change but but who's driving that though who's driving those opportunities and what kind of incentives would you say would you suggest i don't mm. who would be I driving think that's that like that a ideally? systematic change of like you it's a redistribution of wealth almost from who though the one percent. The one percent. Well, the one I mean, percent like, in Nigeria have no interest. Well, to I don't think it's like. Well, that's not how redistribution works. You just don't go and ask people <laughs> to forfeit what they have. But I'm just saying, it's like. I don't know if you had this moment. I had the moment one time when I realized that plumbers make a shit ton of money, and I didn't know that for a really long time. And then when you first find that out, you're like, oh. I used to thought plumbing was like the the lowest end Mm -hmm. job in the world and like butt cracks and all that. But then when you figure that out, you're like, oh, these people are smart and they didn't get, they didn't need high levels of education to go Mm -hmm. and do that job. And I feel like that's the shift of people now being like, oh, that's a job I could have and I'd be fine with having. So I think like that's what, I don't know how that happens, but like that's what I think needs to change of like these jobs that are seen as like, there are so many jobs in Africa that just that you know when that person works that job, it's not their only job, they're not making ends meet on that. And I think those jobs need to be reformed. 
I don't know, there's so many different systems of like how you would do that for each particular job. But the idea of like the bus driver is like, if a bus driver could feed their family and educate their kids and still have a surplus income, how would that shift the mentality for our young people? And how would that shift like the field of education? I think one of the biggest issues with opportunities in Nigeria is the employment opportunities hand in hand with the education opportunities in Africa in a way. I feel like for for Nigeria, for example, we have a British school system and our job opportunities are also mirrored um, to fit the Eurocentric form. And I think that's not necessarily, it's not serving Africans on the continent because um, why would you? That's just me, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to sound ignorant at all. Why would I waste my time? Li- why, you know, why would I live in Nigeria and then also waste my time studying law, to practice law in a country where law doesn't really work? Mm. You know what I mean? Because that's the school system is European. The job title is also European, and these things work, or even even barely work in the West. You know what I mean? So why not reform education system and job opportunities within Africa to fit reality, to fit the reality of the African continent? Mm. And I feel like, again, part of what I've talked about on previous episodes is how Africa drowns in Eurocentrism. You know, a lot of our standards are very Eurocentric. You know, including beauty standards. You know, I know these are social constructs and things like that. I, I get that, but more so um, lifestyle. You know, work, education, religion. A lot of them are centered around Eurocentrism, and I think that is a problem. And going back to um, some of the episodes that I met in the past, uh, I believe I talked about this in the episode I talked about um, black people, the unanimous black sheep. I believe that a lot of these standards, these Eurocentric standards were imposed on us as a result of white supremacy. And we perpetuate them, we Africans, because, mm-hmm. you know, you have these white people who colonize Africa and have infected the, 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 they've infected the world with white supremacy and everybody sees whiteness as the standard, including mm-hmm. Africans. You know what I mean? So we go to school to study things that don't even benefit us as humans, you know, as, as Africans, not humans, mm. as Africans, you know what I'm saying? We have these school curriculums, they're British. We have these degrees, they're British. All this nonsense. And we keep doing it. It's, it's not doing anything for us, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to go through 8, 12 years of school to be a doctor. What's the point of you going through all that education, um, educational years dedicating your life to go to school just to be a doctor to sit at home perhaps we can come up with our own form of medicine our own form of education that serves our reality our own job description that serves we can't all be doctors we can't all be engineers we can't all be lawyers you know what i'm saying especially considering the fact that a lot of us have these degrees and we're just literally sitting at home mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying we can't all have the same school education system you know go to high school and then go go to four years of college two years of masters four years of you know phd or whatever it is we can't just keep modeling um these european standards that do nothing for us and that's that's been one of my part of my argument but of course that's just one opinion i just want to hear what you have to, you have to say about that do you think that that makes sense it and i know these are just you know of course it, um it's easier said than done there's going to be a lot of work to implement these you well know. obviously well that's like the root cause problem that we were talking about of like it's not easy 
by any means. ALA is trying to build what they would deem to be an Afrocentric curriculum. And that's going to take years and years and years to even get on the plate to be served to people, to get invested in before it even gets implemented. It's just such a long process. I would say like off of what you were saying though, is like people have in the past catered some of these systems to work specifically for Africa, but not in the right way. So when you look at like the Bantu system Mm -hmm. in South Africa, or you look at currently what my students still get taught, a lot of these classes that they take aren't for them to like feel empowered to go off and be employed and like be able to handle their finances and manage property. A lot of it is like, oh, we want you to learn secretarial skills because that's probably Mm. the job that they wanted them to have at the time. Or they're still learning Afrikaans. Mm. In in our province of Mpumalanga, where there are very few Afrikaans people, like they still are expected to learn Afrikaans. So there has been in the past systems that are crafted contextualized to the African continent, but obviously directed in a very shitty way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it is possible. It is possible to rework systems to be contextualized. It's just, how do you uproot what is currently there? And you also have to convince people that this new system is it's more be effective. beneficial, more beneficial. And that's where them. research comes in. Hmm. Research and policy. Are there people doing that though? Who are trying to do that research? Yeah, doing research, currently going through research. Because obviously, Dambisa, Dambisa Moyo, she did, she definitely seemed like she did a lot of research. research you know, and I like how she kind of started that book by saying that this is sort of like, I don't want to quote her, misquote her, um, this is sort of like her unpopular opinion. Yep. You know, basically telling you, like, be careful what you're about to read because you're mm-hmm. going to be reading an opinion of Africa that you're probably not used to. Right. You know, so obviously she did some some research. Are there more people on that, you know, on that bus doing research mm-hmm. and try to figure out what we've been doing for so long that is obviously not working for us and try to do things differently? Right. And again, like she said on that book, t- the clock is ticking and time will come that we may lose Africa if mm-hmm. we don't do anything. I would say there's always going to be like independent researchers. Always, always, always. But but are they going to be for the right reasons, though? Because I feel like a lot of people are researching for all the wrong reasons. Explain that. Africa has a lot to offer. From land, which I believe the Chinese is interested in. So you think researchers are coming in for Yeah, to see see how to to steal these opportunities from people Mm. without even them realizing that it's happening. Of course, especially now more than ever, because a lot of Africans are waking up from this shit. You know, people like myself, we're becoming more um, like, yo, what is China doing in Africa? What is, you know, what's this happening? What's the, what's that? You know, there's a lot of expo- exposure of a, a lot of the bullshit that a lot of the West has been doing. People like, you know, um, the West or China yeah. have been doing in Africa. I would say so I feel like there could be some research being done, you know, people being very, you know, very meticulous um, in making sure that they don't leave any stones unturned. To, am I making sense? You you are. Um, the, uh, the scientific revolution came about very like hand in hand with imperialism. Like the reason language is so well studied is because conquistadors, like these colonial powers, thought it was really important to learn the language before they started overtaking because they thought that would be easier. So if you look at like how the Aztecs and that's research, the Incas, that's research, exactly. The research so that led of, to colon, a colonialism. Exactly. I would say at least with like what I'm affiliated with now, like I think probably like 
currently like that's probably a minority of what you're speaking of. I don't think I, yeah, I guess the way that I think funding works, I think there's obviously like always an agenda. I don't know particularly if I would say like anyone's still particularly looking at well, uh, there will always land. be, yeah, there will yeah. always be an agenda, but, but, but is there the like an agenda to serve the African people as opposed to serves you? Okay. I'll talk about that shit. Cause I don't know about what you're talking about specifically in modern day. Okay. But I will say like, there's a lot of independent <clears throat> researchers like operating out of like institutes or universities. But I think a lot of the really big organizations make very sh shallow research. So Nambisa Moyo like writes some very radical things based off of her research and it's interesting that she did that on her own and not through the world bank which is where she worked because okay. obviously the world bank wasn't going to get behind that i think the un and unesco and some of these other places conduct similar types of research of like not necessarily wanting to like dig too much yeah. deeper but i would say the two organizations that i follow most are innovations for poverty action and then the jpal poverty action lab and both of those conduct research around the world of trying to really not just look at very micro changes but also looking at like larger macro programs that could actually be really impactful <clears throat> so there is a lot of research being done but unfortunately like what research is supposed to do is test out models of change there's many many models to prove and most research doesn't get to the table unless it has results and when i say results what i mean is it either shows an increase or a decrease and nothing stagnant so I think, unfortunately, like the world of research is also just very slow and very expensive. How do you feel about the influx of Chinese investment in Africa? Mm. And be honest, <laughs> be as honest and raw as possible. Uh, it's calculated okay. and it's centralized to certain places. It is smart. <clears throat> Smart for the Chinese investors yeah. or for smart for the Chinese investors. I'm sure smart for some of the African, African players that get in quick enough and high enough into some of those organizations. The best thing I can say is like I've seen uh, the SGR train way between Nairobi and Mombasa get built underneath the Chinese government. Same in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, that's like a financial move. Um, Do you think because uh, Dambisa also mentioned how I think she mentioned her concern about it, but then also she did mention that how some people have argued that, um, yes, perhaps the Chinese is taking advantage of Africa, but they're offering much better than what the West has offered. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a better of both evil, so and, to speak. And I guess it goes back to like, what and, and, and also it's, it, it's profitable, no, it's not profitable. It's, it's more attractive to most Africans because, um, the West has been, in Africa for such a long time and with very little progress. So it's time to give somebody else an opportunity. I would say like, I think there might be an acceptance that like no African country is going to progress on its own. So there's going to be collaboration if however you want to connotate that word with some other power. And I would say like, we've talked about charter cities, mm -hmm. uh, actually like delegating part of your land away to another mm -hmm. country with the hopes of it maybe building in an industry and opportunities and some of the change that you're looking for, but you might not have the economic means to start. So I would say like, 
shittily, like a lot of the money through the SGR goes straight to China, mm-hmm. not just China, but like specific players in China. Yeah. But that industry makes a shit ton of money now. If it was not reworked to China, like that has a huge profit base for people. So some of these involvements, like if done slightly differently, could be really impactful. But it's just like, how does that negotiation work? Like, how do you, how do you ask China to come in and build something that they're not going to profit from long term? Yeah. So I think it's actually really possible. I think it's actually really possible. Um, like some of these requests, for example, charter cities. Mm-hmm. I think charter cities would definitely benefit Africa a great deal. You know, especially in some of these coastal countries i definitely believe that but i feel like in order for this to be to be beneficial and also to to africans but also to to china of course you know but it has to be beneficial there has to be a reasonable amount of benefit to africa i feel like in order for that to happen we have to have leaders who understand um who understand what these are these investments the the benefits associated with these these investments and they have to actually be for the people as opposed Mm -hmm. to for themselves Mm -hmm. you know because if you if you genuinely care for your people if you genuinely care for the um the progression of your people opportunity for your people you would have more realistic demands um, of course, also, we also, it would also help better to have leaders who are very educated, very knowledgeable, not these buffoons we have in all throughout Africa. Most of African leaders can't even tell their face from their ass if, if it was staring them in the face. You know, and I think, Af- sorry, China knows that. And they take advantage of that opportunity that a lot of the leaders are not well educated. They're not well informed. They're dumb as shit. You know what I'm saying? And have no interest for the people. And I feel like that's why China is a people like China are able to come in and impose or at least uh, propose some of these quote unquote benefits, even though in reality, those benefits um, that they give to Africans is, is ridiculous. You know, yeah. we can actually which we can actually um, demand for more and we should demand for more because, again, Africa has something China desperately needs resources, land, you know, um, you don't agree. Not to the extent that what they used to have. Oh, well, okay. Well, Africa has something that China needs: resources. No investment Me, opportunity. Investment opportunity, but resources as well. You know, they need resources. Africa has a lot of resources, from timber to mineral mineral resources, land. You know, manpower. A lot of these companies have their bases in Africa, um, and they don't pay taxes, or they get to pay the people, the workers, very low wages. Those are those are opportunities. Those are business opportunities. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yes, Africa Africa has a lot of, especially a it's lot a of land. It's a fertile ground. It's a but fertile. Not in the way that it used to be. It used to be a fertile ground for like gold. Now it's a fertile ground for like exploitation. Like it's easier to operate higher paying businesses. Yeah, but but you know, I feel like yeah. I, and our leaders, our leaders are not helping. I think like, um, I watched that documentary with AOC and she talks about how like, y- you have to have like that grain of salt of like, they didn't literally put a dipshit up as like a president in any country. But unfortunately it's just, there are so many games that get played in political spheres that one, like you could have been put up because you're a little bit more malleable, because you're a little bit more naive, but you are just so entrenched in so many different 
webbings of what goes into the political sphere that like a lot of your decision making doesn't really come from your true and honest want but it's just like you're just playing the game to survive now mm. and that's true for the u.s but i think it's true for a lot of these other countries too of like i think most i don't think anyone is dumb as rocks but i think people might get put up for specific reasons and they get entrapped in a system they don't know how to work out of hmm. and i feel like that's true for a lot of politics and that's what makes it very weak I think China's presence in Africa can be beneficial, can, and I say can, you know, and in, in with, with highlight, can be beneficial with the right African leaders. And I feel like we don't have the right African leaders, and they know that. But is it like, is any leader in that role, with the pressures of that role, actually going to perform any differently? I think it has a lot more to do than like who the person is, but I think it's the hierarchy and the structures within it. The hierarchy, as in the, the think about like the U.S. Senate of like every senator is expected to make millions of dollars to maintain their seat. So every year, like you spend very little amounts of your time actually like thinking about progressing the legislative body forward. You spend a lot of that time trying to make the connections that will fund you for another year, and that's why so many people get caught up with like the the wealthy elites that are pushing certain agendas and you start being a toy for other people to like play with mm. so i think that's where that's what i'm saying of like i don't know if it's just like the wrong leaders are there but i think it's like there are structures that are going to corrupt any leader that there is okay well then we revamp the government system in africa that's very that requires i think a lot of restructuring of like international debt yeah yeah but but again this all ties you know we're following for example, Nigeria. Nigeria claims to be democratic. I don't see democracy, me personally. I just see a big fat lie. You know what I mean? We keep, it looks good on paper, and I think democracy is one of the requirements for some of these loans, right? Some of these, Definitely. yeah, some of these uh, aids. Yeah. But uh, on paper, democracy. You take it out, so you can get some of these fundings from um, the World Bank and uh, maybe UN or the U.S. or whatever, whatever it is. But re realistically, I think I feel like a lot of the leaders in Africa are operating under dictatorship, really, realistically. For example, Buhari, for example, I believe he's a dictator. Mm -hmm. You know, he just doesn't give a shit about the people. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, there are videos of him laughing about, you know, like there's a complaint about how some of the... Uh, people who've been murdered need some type of reparation, um, some type of, you know, and he was just laughing. This like, you know, but he's done a whole, his track of presidency has been just an utter disgrace. Right. And I feel like um, no democratic system would allow that kind of behavior at all. And I see that as dictatorship. Matter of fact, Adeola Fayohon, one of the, the, the Nigerian-American journalists that I listen to, she's called him a dictator multiple times, mm -hmm. and I completely agree. So I feel like, you know, we need to, going back to what I've been saying for a while, um, the lies we tell ourselves. These systems don't work for us. They've never worked for us. Why do we still blindly maintain them? Just like we need to get rid of, uh, not get rid of, but revamp our education system so that they don't, mm -hmm. They don't our education system and our employment system so that they don't model Eurocentrism. We need to revamp our government systems as well, right. you know, because they're not realistic at all. And just like Dambiso, Dambisa Moyo, she said that uh, Africa does not need the form of democracy we have. Perhaps it does now. need it democracy. Need it now. Yeah, perhaps it needs democracy, but not the the kind that we have right now. Right. Not the kind that mo models 
um, the Western countries because I feel mm -hmm. like the Western countries have other factors in place that make it more of a reality for them mm -hmm. as opposed to us. So that, that's just what I think. But right. again, I believe that um, I do agree with you that Africa in its current state right now definitely uh, can benefit from having investments, foreign investment, foreign aid and whatever it is, you know. However, I feel like this would only be most profitable for Africans under the right leadership. Mm -hmm. And that takes me to the next question. What is the right leadership? What does that look like? Who is the right leader? How do we recruit um, and maintain right leadership? Um, and again, there's a lot of, Dambisa mentioned this in her book. A lot of times, a lot of people want to join office for all the right reasons, but once they get there, um, it becomes, it becomes too attractive because I believe that power corrupts, you know, it becomes some type of like a lottery. You feel you get used to the good life, how easy it is to get loans, how easy things um, go your way and you too, you become corrupt. You know what I mean? How do we change a system, a government system from what it is right now? Where do we get the right leaders? How do we recruit them? How do we maintain them? And how do we guarantee that they don't perpetrate the same problems that we Africans have been complaining about for such a long time? This is just a hot mess. <laughs> and I really, I'm asking because I really want to know. I really, I don't want to sound ignorant at all, but I, I, I am one of the Africans who actually genuinely do care. I'm going to go back to our, <laughs> this is unrelated to that question, but I want to say like based off of like, how, how do we keep believing in systems that don't work for us? And I've learned like there's these three like trains of thought of like there are things that are within our objective knowledge of like this mug, this team cup I have right here. And it's like, I don't need to believe in that for it to be true. Like it's there. If I don't believe in it, it's still there. Okay. Then there's the subjective, which is like something that really only pertains to me. So if I had like an imaginary friend, like I, like a lot of us do when we're younger, the second I stop believing about that, like that is no longer real. That is no longer in within existence anymore, but it's real to me in my mind. And then there's this like middle ground, which is like called the intersubjective, which is the subjective knowledge that exists within the communication of other people. And those would be some of these ideals like democracy and like human rights and equity. Like these are the things that aren't real, aren't tangible, but just because I stop believing in them doesn't take them out of the existence of everyone else in our community. And I feel like that's where a lot of our struggle comes from is like there are people who are trying to exit out of some of this commitment to these subjective ideals, but it's still so entrenched into the rest of the community. It's so tangibly immutable. Why? Why what? Why, why is it so, so rooted in there? And how can we get rid of it? I guess like that just goes down to like, would you say white supremacy? Mm, maybe just supremacy. I've just like this is how people build a shared, imagined community of like, <clears throat> there are there are no lines within the ground that actually divide up countries, but it's your lawmakers and your leaders who help you build in a sense of identity based off of people you've never met in your entire life, but people who you would commit to based off of being Nigerian, being American. So I would say like. A lot of the ways people do this is like these like intangible concepts that they say you're based off of. So like, I think that has rooted a lot of people into like the idea of the American dream is like something that Americans like adhere to, 
find value in and therefore like commit to and commit to the person next to them who also feels it. But just because I stop believing that the American dream is possible doesn't mean that everyone else stops believing that too. So it's like people I think are factioning off of seeing the reality of some of these systems, but not enough of them are. So therefore like you end up just being an outcast in your culture state. Mm -hmm. But why though? I, I don't want I want to understand how how you don't see what everybody else sees or everybody else does nobody else sees what you see. Cause because I would say we're the ones who perpetrate these issues. We mm. we we are the ones blindly. And of course I could sit here and complain and complain and complain unless everybody else is on board, nothing's really gonna change. change. You know, and some people are just gonna complain, but then they're still blindly or not not even blind they just still um knowingly still conform which i get because sometimes you what else would you there's not a whole lot of opportunities yeah. you know the school system is failing you but what else would you rather do what else can you do right you might as well just go to school because that's you know like i'll see you on the other side you know but i'll see you at the end mm -hmm. with no job you know what i mean or hopefully perhaps something i would be different perhaps i get a visa to america where i could actually use my degree you know, but realistically, how many people are going to get a visa to America to use the degree when you see a whole lot of people who have already graduated from the same school system with the same degree not having anything to show for? I feel like at the end of the day, like you can say it's lack of education, you can say it's apathy, but I think a lot of it is like helplessness. When you look at like a traditional like government school in South Africa, like you have usually like four to six students who are high, high achieving will get into a, a VITS, a UJ, and then the rest of the class is like miles away from them. Maybe like hitting that matriculant minimum, but they're like miles away. And you ask yourself like, well, why does that happen? And I think at the end of the day, it's just like, kid, you give these students hope. And the hope is like this unachievable pathway of like hitting incredible marks that they're not yet capable of mm -hmm. in a system that doesn't support them to hit those marks. Mm -hmm. And I see kids a lot forcing a reality that doesn't make sense and trying to achieve these levels that doesn't really seem within their reach. And once I think that reality sets in, it's like, well, then why am I still working to get average when all I know is I need this? So I feel like there's like a helplessness of like, I think people like are either committing 100% or committing 0%. Like if they think there's any kind of hope that mm -hmm. like the next president is going to bring about change, they will commit 100%. And I do believe radicalism happens within African countries when it comes to politics. Mm -hmm. It's like they believe 100% that like this president will do it and I'm going to commit 100% to that process. Mm -hmm. Or it's the other way of like the feeling of helplessness, like they don't show up to vote, they don't care to know who the politics are, like they just like are now scoping. Yeah. So I think there's that lack of middle ground of like there's only one path that's shown. And when that's your only path, it's like you fight for it or you leave yourself out to die. And I don't think anyone's going down the middle. Okay. There's a lot wrong with Africa. Of course, it's unfair to just say Africa. You know, there's a lot wrong with the world because mm -hmm. this world is a hot mess. I've been talking about it for, for a while. Um, there's a lot wrong with Africa, a whole lot wrong with Africa. And I think... <clears throat> I think a huge part of that problem is our mentality, the African mentality. And of course, there are other mentalities. There's the typical American mentality, typical European mentality, South American, Asian, and they all these people, you know, respectively, they have their own issues. Yes. You know, so but I'm for the sake of this episode, th this episode, we're just going to be talking about um, Africa. 
I feel like a lot of our issues is, is our mentality. And I just believe that a, a lot of that mentality has to do with um, white supremacy that's being posed on us. A lot of Africans, a, a lot of black people in general, I feel like a lot of black people in general have a loser, ment a loser mentality. Hmm. And the reason I feel like that is because of white supremacy. Everything, like when you look at the hierarchy of perfection, so to speak, you know, it's from white to black mm -hmm. and i feel like with the colonial masters coming down to africa and imposing all these nasty beliefs on us you know forcing us to uh not yeah also forcing us to reject our our spirituality um teaching us their languages enslaving our people it, it just it, it it left a mental mess in us you know and i feel like we're just trying to so desperately pick up the pieces and it, the more we try to peek, uh, the more pieces we try to pick up, the more mess we make because we haven't, we don't know any better. Hmm. You know, we have a group of people who did not have the best for us at heart come in and show us their way, you know, and we're trying to find our way in a world, in a white supremacist world. And I feel like a lot of that trickles down to our mentality. And that, and that's just mentality. And then you, all, you have all these other systems that are also um, European. The a, a lot of African cultures are heavily European influenced, you know, language included. Um, you have school systems, government systems, curriculums, you know, a whole lot of things are just heavily, just heavily embedded in, in us. And I feel like um, that is just the biggest issues. I feel like you know, like the 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 mentality, the African mentality, and also Eurocentrism is a is a huge problem. It's a huge part of um, the problems in Africa. And I guess the issue that I face is how can we collectively, you know, or even individually on an individual level, start to unwind and undo some of these damages that have been imposed on us by white supremacy and being um, reinforced in Western media and, and reinforced and perpetrated by our own people and unplugging to find our own success, our own path, our own what works for us, as opposed to keep looking at people who who their systems barely even work for them and we're trying to desperately follow yeah. knowing damn well that it doesn't work for us it's mm -hmm. never worked for us never and we're still blindly following you know but anyway i don't want this episode to be too long because we're we're at the two hour mark <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's quite sad. It really is sad. There's a whole lot of issues in Africa. It really is, you know, for people like myself who really wish to do more. It's like, what? What can we do? You know, it's easy to send money to Africa. It's easy to go back to Africa, build a home for your relatives out there. But there's a lot of opinions about how that's not necessarily the best move because you're actually adding to the problem, you know. So it's like, what is the best move? What is the right move? you know and it's also easy to be like yeah forget africa you know screw that you know but i feel like for me the humanity in me it just doesn't it doesn't sit well with me you know what i mean because i know i would appreciate somebody taking a chance on me if i was still back in africa with no opportunities whatsoever mm -hmm. and of course there are people who are who have better opportunities living in africa you know people children of the one percent you know, or people who, who just, their lives are okay. You know, of course, not everybody's suffering, but for the average African, um, the opportunities that 
most Americans, average Americans would have don't exist. Opportunities to be yourself, to express yourself, to live a lifestyle that fits you, whatever that lifestyle is, um, including queer as well. But not also just that, you know, just be yourself, you know, progress and live a fulfilling life, lifestyle. A lot of people don't have that. Um, and it's very sad. And, and for me, as a privileged Nigerian living in the West, even though I'm still navigating my um, my life here in the West because it's not perfect, I have my own issues, how can I lend a helping hand to people back home? And there's something that I, I just want to figure out, you know, because mm. why not? They're your people at the end of the day. But thank you so much for joining me today, though, uh, for this interview um, or discussion. Mm. I really do appreciate it. Do you have any last words, any last thoughts you want to add before we, we sign out? I, I want to add one. I don't know if it's like correctly placed yeah, here, go though, ahead. but you can do that. Um, I think something that I remind myself a lot of is like, I don't come from the best community. I don't mm -hmm. come from a, like the type of community that I currently work in, but mm -hmm. I currently come from a community that would probably be like labeled as disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people frequently ask like, oh, do you have like a hope to like go back and create that change in your own community? And I think I face the same mm -hmm. difficulties thinking about that as I'm sure tons of Africans do thinking about their I don't know what I would go back and do. I don't know what the avenues would be. Mm. I don't know if I would be respected, listened to, like, be seen as, like, a pioneer of a new culture. And so I think it's almost like the avenues are fucked up mm -hmm. of, like, a white person can step into an African continent and make something change. And Africans can step into the United States and find a sense of belonging, too. But it doesn't seem like we're finding the right conduits for ourselves in our own community. And maybe that's something to think about, like how does homegrown leadership work? Mm. So are you basically saying that um, a lot of a lot of Africans like myself have to feel the pressure to go back and help? However, you're basically saying yes, that's a good thing, but also find your niche, whatever that niche may be. It may not necessarily be back in Africa; it may be anywhere. I think I'm more so saying like the question of how, like the the why is there. It's like, why would you want to go back? Like, you're obviously going to be most impactful in the community that you know most, that you identify with most, that people see you in them. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how do you do that? What does that look like? And I don't know that answer. And that's mm -hmm. what's kept me, maybe that's what's kept me in Africa too. Like, mm -hmm. if this is the work I do, I don't see how I implement it. What, what advice would you give to Africans, both in diaspora and Africans on the continent? in terms of based on everything you know about africa having lived on the continent having mm. um worked in africa worked with a lot of africans and interact with a lot of africans even on a personal level you've dated a few africans um what in general like when it comes to life in general um obviously I, you've worked there you're doing some work there you know so how it could be it could be for example how would you think that Africans could help make your type of job better even, mm. you know what I mean? What advice would you give? I guess the only thing I can think of right or now- Or even to drive change. And feel comfortable with saying is there's not a lack of human capital, mm. but more so what lacks are the normal systems that create momentum. Okay. And I think maybe the task that people could take on is how do you support some of the movement, social, cultural, technological in Africa by creating momentum. Because the drive and the skills 
and the want and the passion are all there. Mm-hmm. But it's the the ability to move it from an idea in someone's head into a reality that suffers. And that could be financial, mm-hmm. or it could be social media support, or it could be networking. I'm not sure in all regards what that looks like for every person, but I think that's, especially for people within the diaspora, it's like reconnecting back in. Yeah, but that, that, that leads to another dilemma, though. Like, how do you do that? Um, a yeah. lot of people are doing it for the wrong reasons. And of course, for a lot of people trying to invest their time and money on the continent, I always advise to be there physically present. But then mm-hmm. even that is not as realistic, uh, considering if you live in the West, if you live in America, for example, a lot of that, 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 that the financial is flowing from America. Mm-hmm. You have to be present in America to maintain that flow. Do you appoint someone on the continent to oversee whatever it is that you're doing on the continent, you know, like to manage your money, the money that you're sending to the financial cap, the capital that you're going to be pumping in? Maybe that's where we're talking about, like when we're thinking of like people in the diaspora who aren't necessarily going to commit a slew of time is like, is this meant, are these some of the jobs that now need to exist? Or are these like, if people are looking to commit back, is like, is that an avenue for people who are willing to be on the ground and in it? And people within the diaspora are the ones who are funding more of the financial lake work. Financial lake work, work for. Exactly what you were just saying of like, if you if you need someone to go and manage your support money, over it's there. like okay, so there's a there's a gap that needs uh-huh. to be filled. Probably mm-hmm. there is someone who would ideally fit that gap. Yeah, that would be a business opportunity, but. That's risky, though. How do you find? I think it's risky because of your perceptions. Yeah, I think shoot. you're deeming people as. Well, I have trust issues, especially when yeah, it comes to money. Yeah, don't project said. that on your people. <laughs> though, man. No, 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 no. It, it has nothing to just do with my people. Even here in America, I have trust issues for anyone. But I would just say, at the end of the day, because like, I'm every, a realist. Dude. Yeah, every organization has a leaky bucket. Like money gets lost this way, this way, that way. Yeah. There, and then there's the niche of like a pretty big one of like the money just drastically does not go to where it needs to go it's just saying that every organization has a leaky bucket and like that's fine and that's understandable um and i think like there are avenues of figuring out like what kind of organization is which and again that goes back down to data because a lot of dating is a lot of data is monitoring and evaluation and process impact so i think Mm. it exists i think it does and i think if some of these avenues that open up between like practice and research open up to the public i think people can make more informed decisions too i think my concern is not it existing or not existing i think it's more so existing for the right reasons Mm. you know and not that being a business opportunity to fund somebody's ridiculous lifestyle luxury lifestyle you know i I wonder how real that is though like i wonder how many people i i think we all know the principal or the preacher who drives a bmw like i think that's a very stereotypical african trope but I just wonder, like, how much of a fear is that playing? Like, is that really scaring? Is it scaring away too many people than it actually should? I've seen, I've seen way too many. I've seen and heard of way too many people, diasporans, who send money back home for a project or for some type of development, and in reality, you're actually feeding somebody's bank account. But is that a bias of media? Because would the people who successfully donate back money and have it get spent on the right things necessarily post that? And get traction. It depends on what it is that you're sending money for. Mm. It, it doesn't always have to be for self-development. It mm. could just be for community development. 
you know there's a lot of people who've done work but i think it goes back to why you're actually doing that work are you doing okay. that because you know you're trying to feed your ego oh look at me i went to namibia and built some toilet for a bunch of people you know Which what, what is that toilet is, what is that toilet really do i mean it's nice to have somewhere to shit in shit you in. Know? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have a toilet to shit in but you know realistically what's that going to do for the population in Namibia? Right. you know that type of thing or is, or is it passion? Do you genuinely care? And I, mm -hmm. I think I'm asking more so for people who genuinely do care. How are you able to maintain that? Because again, if you're going to be donating money, if you're going to be donating, providing that capital um, from the West, that is coming from the opportunities, from the privileges you have here in the West. And it's hard for you to maintain that, um, that the, it's hard for you to maintain your presence in the West where you get that cash flow from and also maintaining your presence in on the continent african continent mm. where your work your money um has to be put into work is hard and also having that middleman of somebody who's going to be managing the the funds and also making sure that the projects are completed as you as they should mm. that's also very difficult to find somebody who is doing it for all the right reasons someone who who is trustworthy somebody who has a lot of accountability you know who who is transparent that's difficult and, and I, I don't think it's biased for me to say that a lot of times it doesn't happen that way because i've seen and heard and read way too many too many articles about this happening multiple times and it's frustrating yeah i just think not denoting that it doesn't happen i just think it needs to get placed into the context of like what is the percentage that we're looking at mm. i would say like and that's also an more people i think there's also an opportunity a research opportunity as yeah well. definitely research opportunity and um oh, a pretty cool business opportunity yeah, yeah. Research opportunity and, and, and business opportunity. I like how you're saying, like, how does someone deal with, like, operating in the space that gives them the cash flow versus, like, operating in the place where they hope to have that cash flow create impact. And I think that maybe goes back to what you're saying earlier of, like, some of the irreversible changes that we're now dealing with that conflict the way that Africa will progress are things like the diaspora. Like, the diaspora didn't come about because black people were like, oh, yeah, I would love to live in a different continent, but mm -hmm. it came about through the slave trade. Um, and is that one of the complications that no one really wants to see go away? I don't think anyone wants to get usurp black Haitians or usurp black Americans out of the place that they call home now. But it does now present this conflict that we're probably concretely stuck in of people coming from a motherland that is inherently harder to support now mm. and commit to. Mm. And, and of course, this, this cash flow or capital, human capital you mentioned, is also just one opinion. Of course, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I guess there there could also be a lot more um, avenues through which we could help the continent. You know, I think sending money to Africa could bring a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think that, and a lot of a lot of diasporans have talked about this: how you're you're perpetuating poverty. You perpetuating issues within the continent, you know, sending money. So I think there's nothing wrong with sending money. I get it, but it has to be strategically done. It has to be strategically done for all the right reasons, and it has to be. Um, there has to be accountability, you know, like very strict accountability. Because again, you cannot be claiming to fight something and then in one hand adding to it. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, yeah, um, and of course, there's other other opportunities um, like what you're doing. 
actually dedicating your life by being there physically, you know, working with these kids and implementing change. I think that's very honorable and admirable. And realistically, not a lot of Africans or um, diasporans would do that. Hmm. I'm pretty sure there are some who have done that, but that is a huge commitment, hmm. a lot of commitment. And most people are just not ready to, you know, leave that privilege behind to go back to Africa when there's not a lot of support for for that retransition you know if that makes sense mm -hmm. but anyway um that's the end of today's podcast i don't want to i think this is probably too long i'm probably gonna make it part one or part two i don't want it to be way too long we're over two hours already thank you very much for joining me today i really do appreciate your presence here your thoughts your perception your perspectives your opinions everything i really do <laughs> thank you so much for joining i really do appreciate it and i hope that we um we can have more episodes together perhaps in person or perhaps over the phone i know you're really busy and i am busy too but hopefully if we can coordinate again i really do like to hear your your perspectives you know thank you so much and for everyone please make sure to comment down below what did you think about today's episode how did you think this interview went do you agree with everything that has been said today do you have anything to add please comment down below or you can send me an email at let's talk with uche at gmail.com follow me on instagram and facebook at let's talk with uche and my website is www.letstalkaboutus.org Thank you very much. Again, if you're new to my podcast, please make sure to download, share with your friends and family. If you're new to my YouTube channel, please make sure to also subscribe and hit that bell notification. So anytime I upload a video, you'll be the very first to be notified. Thank you very much for joining. Until next time.